action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies, sort of. We're back in lockdown, so this is our lockdown reboot episode where we'll give you some recommendations to get you through the COVID blues. This time around, we're concentrating on sequels, remakes, and reboots. And we're getting the good China out because we have guests. Please welcome to the pod filmmaker Lloyd Air Morgan and actor Sam Retford. Boys, how are you? Very good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> Sam, you good? Yes, very good. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much for having us on. That's all right. Thanks for coming on. Lloyd, you've co-written and co-directed a short film called SAM with your filmmaking partner, Neil Ely. That's filmmaking partner in filmmaking, not life partner. <laughs> and Sam, you are the co-lead actor. How did this film come about? Um, it came about because uh, myself and Neil were working with Mencap, um, creating and devising a theatre piece with um, adults with learning disabilities. And we were talking about kind of subjects they felt they hadn't seen on television or in film and sexuality kept coming up again and again. Um, so we decided to um, write a story about it. Just for those who don't know, what is Mencap? Uh, Mencap is the leading uh, disability charity in the UK. Tell us about the film. Sam is obviously in the film. He plays a character called Sam. That's not confusing. There's another character, isn't there? Called Sam. <laughs> called Sam. And tell us, tell us about the film. How do the two characters meet? What's the, uh, what's the story? I'll let Sam take this one away if you want, Sam. Okay, yeah, cool. Well, I'm Sam and I play Sam in Sam. Um, and Sam is about two Sams who meet on a set of swings Um and yeah, they uh, create this beautiful friendship and um, progress through the film to learn loads about each other. And um, yeah, we see through the camera's eye their relationship, friendship grow into a beautiful relationship. And yeah. When you got cast and you found out the film was called Sam, did you think, oh my God, this is it. My own sitcom. I'm going to be the new <laughs> Seinfeld or the new Drake and Josh. No, I actually it was it was part of my contract that the film and all characters had to be named after me. That's not such a bad contract. Tell us about the other Sam, George Webster. He is basically he, the film is made almost for people like like George. Yeah, I mean George is fantastic. He um he's one of the best actors we've worked with and he's and he's so amazing to have on set like his energy and his enthusiasm and his like he's just amazing and um, yeah, we wanted to, you know, write a story, obviously, with somebody who's got a learning disability, but that not to define who they are in the film and also for his character to empower. You know, I think his character empowers Sam Retford's character in it. And It's not, a, a set, I think, the, the, um, uh, the, the status quo at the moment, if you, you know, including an actor with a, a disability in a film, is that, you know, they are the, the sidekick and, you know, the, the able-bodied actor or the non-disabled actor, uh, you know, will take them through life and guide them through <laughs> life and teach them something. But that's just not the case. It's not the case in real life. So it's not why does it have to be the case in film? So we, we, the boys created this amazing story where uh, my character and George's character 
come in on 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 a par and they both have equal amounts to learn from each other um you know the character that i portray is from a more so disadvantaged background than george's character so there's lessons to be learned there and, and it just creates this beautiful realistic dynamic that me and george have in real life like we go out for pints before we we we, we started filming we just you know have have a laugh and 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 it was it was a real amazing chemistry to then put a camera in front of because uh, he, he is phenomenal and he's so great to work with one of the best actors i've had the pleasure of working with what's great is that george has down syndrome but the character in the film it's never mentioned so it's just happenstance the film isn't about a kid that has down syndrome it just so happens that the character does have down syndrome yeah, the film's about sexuality, the film's about friendship, the film's about two boys on a swing. It doesn't matter who they are or where they're from or what they've seen or been through. It's just two boys on a swing. That's it. And has the reaction been good from the disabled community? From the disabled community, the reaction's been amazing. Um, I mean, overall, the reaction to the film's been great. In North America, we've had a really fantastic response to the film. Um, we've had a few... I think the UK have found it harder to digest than North America. I think maybe we're slightly behind when it comes to views on um, disability and sexuality. Why is that? I don't know. It's strange. Like we had, you know, we had one um, festival come back and I'm not going to name who it was, but they said that um, the reason the film didn't get in was because two of the pre-selection jury members found it difficult that Sam Retford's character was larger than George's character and it could look like grooming. But then, you know, if we look at films like Call Me By Your Name, where you've got a 17 year old and a teacher who's 30, who is in a relationship with him, no one had any problems with that. So really the problem is mm. that they're looking at George and being like, he's smaller, he looks different. I'm not sure this is okay. So it's kind of their own prejudices, but that's kind of why we made the film. We want people to think about it and question it and have these conversations, you know? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me because at the start of the film, Sam, your character, says to the other Sam, we were in history together. So they, they're the same age. They're mm. in the same class mm -hmm. at school. Yeah. And then, and then in real life as well, George is a year younger than me. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, the, the problem is not with age. The problem is that, that you know, said people who, who would watch it and have a problem with it can't admit to themselves that what they have a problem with is someone with a disability mm. having a relationship with someone who doesn't have a disability. That's why they yes. can't fathom. And they can't admit that to themselves, so they couldn't possibly turn around and say that. So the, the, the closest thing is, oh, it makes me uncomfortable. Why does it make me uncomfortable? Mm. I'm not going to admit that to myself. What I'm going to say is, oh, this is, this is my reasoning. So, Lloyd, how do you and Neil, your, your co-writer, co-director, how do you deal with that when a festival rejects you what conversations do you have with them afterwards i mean i think one you know conversation it's happened with two festivals that have been transparent with the feedback of why it didn't get in uh, in the uk in the uk it's so interesting so like in in north america we got into kind of six oscar qualifying film festivals and in the uk we didn't actually officially get into one film festival and you kind of go what's the like how does that make any sense in the terms mm. of you know if it hadn't got into any american ones i'd have been like okay fair enough maybe it's not that great but like the <laughs> fact that they got across the pond so well received but over the uk two of them have come back and said they had problems with it um we came back and said you know that i think it that this this is why this film's important because it's obviously having you know a reaction with people that needs a conversation still you know films like this aren't being made people aren't seeing it on screen so they don't know how to react to it um, you know, and 
we want to expand it in the feature film that we're going to shoot next year and we're going to include mm -hmm. some of these views in the characters in the film so people can kind of we can discuss it more and further and kind of hopefully educate people and you know bring it to light that it's okay for somebody who has a disability who has full capacity to go out with and love and do whatever they want you know you know they wouldn't question someone who can walk having a relationship with someone in a wheelchair so why is it when you have someone who doesn't have down syndrome getting into a relationship with someone who does have down syndrome where is the disconnect and how do you aside from making films like this how what is the solution how do we how do we get people past that 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 hurdle i'd have to dis disagree with that i'd, I'd say i think the that the, there is a uh, an innate systemic problem with with people's opinions against uh someone with with any disability i think i i, think? I personally have seen that um yeah yeah Gr growing up around disability i i've absolutely um recognized that and i think uh personally the way to to solve it is exactly what we've done and and get rid of any preconceptions of relationships and going this is what happens in real life now we're going to put it in front of your face so when you wake up in the morning and turn the tv on what you're seeing is not you know a white cis quote unquote normal couple um you're, you're seeing a real couple you're seeing yeah. what you would walk down the street and real relationships that happen and as soon as people start to digest things like this day to day they suddenly start realizing we draw parallels all the time with what we say is normal and what we see on television we see someone as a hero as a muscular white man uh so and and we put someone else in that position people go oh that's wrong i've mm. never seen that before or this this is this is quite odd um so we just need to slowly break that down and slowly make this the new normal and 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 start showcasing stuff that happens in real life in television and film so that people digest it and see themselves represented on television see themselves represented in film so that they can then go up there and say oh i feel represented i feel worthy that my story is interesting it's not just his story that's interesting my story is interesting as well and deserves to be told one of one of the um there's a website where you can rate what films you've seen you know where you put like and you add to it oh letterbox right yeah so someone's put it put a review on someone there saying um i watched this film but it made me really uncomfortable because i just don't know enough about whether it was okay or not that's their responsibility they've got to pull the finger out and read the fucking book exactly so you know i i think that this film needs to be it's it's urgent that this film needs to be made into a feature and more accessible for people to see because i think that people just do not know enough about it and it's uncharted territory because I think people are so scared of getting it wrong that they just don't mm. do it at all. You know what I mean? So it's become film as activism. Looking at your previous work, Lloyd, it's, it's almost like a new direction for you personally. The stuff you've made before has always been very genre-based. So time-travelling film, zombie stuff, other kind of horror. What sort of sparked in your head that made you turn this corner and go, well, I want to do something that, I mean, I don't want to use the word that matters because all all our creative endeavours matter, but this definitely has an activism edge to it that I haven't seen in your work before. Do you know what? I think it's from like shared experiences that I've had with, with Neil. Like me and Neil used to live together and we were both living carers together. And, you know, we lived with two people who had disabilities and like, and I think it's via Neil kind of, he works for Mencap and he still works for Mencap now and he has done for 15 years. And, you know, it's enriched Neil's life massively working with Mencap and working with different people with disabilities and coming into that and working with him in the drama groups and hearing these stories that people feel haven't been told. It kind of inspired me to try and tell something with, with Neil that, you know, needed to be told and was 
was important. I mean, I think in my past work, I've always tried, like with the horror stuff anyway, to add social realism to it as well. Because, um, I, I mean, Fish Tank's one of my favourite films. Like, you know, I, I love that genre of film. And I think that um, we did that with Devil's Play and, and Kill Pill, that it had that kind of horror meets social realism. So I think, you know, it's always kind of been a passion. And I think it was just waiting for the right story to be told that hadn't been done before. And then this has kind of organically developed with me and Neil, so. And the fact that you've had great attention over in the US is obviously not gonna harm you. And the attention over here, whether it's negative or positive, it's all good because it gets a conversation going. A hundred percent. And that's what we wanted to do. That was our goal from this mm. film to get a conversation going. And I think, you know, I, I, I would rather people be having that conversation and, you know, it's quite nice as well that the festivals have come to us and talked about it to hear kind of because they've admitted they didn't know enough about it as well. And to, and I think we have definitely with one of the festivals, they've definitely changed their mind about it after talking to us and, and hearing about, you know, why we made the film and, 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 you know, the importance of it and, you know, arguing and challenging their views on it. And, and they, and they weren't particular, they weren't, you know, our views are this, it's just, they didn't know enough about it. So it's kind of educating people. And, and, you know, I think, I think the feature film is even more important to us to get it made next year after getting these comments from the UK. So. I find it interesting. I would, I'd like to know if the people who had a problem with it had a problem because, because like exclusively because of the romance like there's you know there's been films about um like the peanut butter falcon like that was about a, that friendship that developed between um you know a normal guy and a a down syndrome person and there's no romance in that and people like people loved that film and really celebrated that friendship um and it's just interesting that maybe when it you know your film tips it into romance which is really unexpected and lovely you know is that it's interesting that people see that as some kind of problem maybe because again it's 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 commenting on that disability trope that we mm. have currently in mainstream film which is let's get someone who's not disabled and then we have our disabled sidekick who's mm. funny and you know we pull him alongside come on hurry up oh you're being too slow all of the comedy is at the you know at the fault of their disability and it's uh you know come come on let me teach you about the world because you're disabled and and quite don't know, you know don't know enough but i'm not disabled and i know everything about the world so you can't reach your goal without me here Whereas that's that's not the case. That's not the case in real life. That that shouldn't be the case in film. But if we keep showcasing in film, that's why people like that because it's easy for their brain to understand. I'm up here, and someone with a disability is here, and you know, I'm. This still means I'm, you know, uh, up there and 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 this high status. But a film that that we put out had it not had the romance in, and still been the same social uh, construct between the two. I still think people would have taken umbrage to the fact mm. that the person with a, a disability in this case um was coming from a higher status point they would have gone oh well, well that that's unrealistic that doesn't make sense mm. just because of uh, not themselves being you know um uh, anti-ableist or, or anything like that that they were just being um that, that that's just what's in their head that's just the status quo that they're sat with and that they've grown up with and it was just it pushed against them mm. i think it's really clever the way you've kind of flipped the way that it it's the, the Sam that's played by George, he's very actually like put together and he, you know, he's very level headed and he's almost got it sorted. And Sam played by you, Sam, is, is kind of this very emotionally troubled 
um, young man. It's just it was lovely to see that flipped in such an eloquent and uh, sort of simple way. I guess. I think we want we when we were writing it, we did we wanted to you know actually make it that Sam Retford's character was the vulnerable one in the situation, and you know kind mm. of George was was there to to set to to help Sam and guide Sam rather than it be the other way around, which was Sam was saying is yeah. the usual trope. So that was a really kind of conscious decision. And Sam's character, Sam Retford's character. Kind of, I was actually working in a pupil referral unit at the time that we were kind of putting it all together and I saw a lot of kids that were kind of in a similar position that Sam Retford's character's in it. So I kind of wanted to bring that into it as well and kind of show, you know, kids who are living in disadvantaged backgrounds and kind of bring that anger. And Sam did it perfectly and he brought so much to it himself, which has developed it even more. So both boys did. Mm. They both improvised in workshops and created something bigger than we'd ever even imagined like it just all came together really really well sam what was your research like i mean you obviously got to send the script but were you aware of of the work of mencap what sort of research did you go into um i didn't really do any research in particular it was just um into uh, looked back into kind of my relationships with lads when i was uh a teenager those sort of friendships those that kind of banterous relationship um workshopping with george was quite uh was great research i went up to leeds and he took me out for some food we went and got a got a haircut and just hung out and just kind of developed those relationships so that there was something some three-dimensional substance behind uh you know the 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 page that that we had that there was something that we could kind of call back to um and yeah but in t- in terms of disability in terms of the plot and and the social uh issues that are kind of thrown up after that from you know audiences in the UK I'd say I, I always had the the standing to approach the role as as my um my brother's got cerebral palsy so I, I'd always grown up being a young carer and 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 surrounded by disabilities so I think I had uh, a very good understanding uh, to bring to the role uh, about you know disability I wasn't approaching it completely blind which is always good and and you know the boys have got a very similar understanding a very hands-on understanding uh, so you just had a load of people there for the right reasons who understood the sensitivity of the project matter um, so yeah they, it, it kind of put together a really lovely dynamic on set because everyone knew why they were there and everyone knew how important it all was and it's a winning dynamic where can people see the film if they want to see it uh, people can watch it on Holby Court Contest. Spell that. H-O-L-E-B-I-K-O-R-T Contest. I'll find it. If it's on there, I'll find it and I'll put it out on our Twitter, at Torn Stubbs Pod. I'll put it there and um, pin it to the to the profile. For me, it's been brilliant to watch you, Lloyd, develop over the past 10 years. And I can't wait for this to be a feature because I think it's going to be really special. Have you got funding in place yet? So at the moment, uh, we're working with a really great producer called Nell Green, who is at the moment, um, she's actually attaching cast in the next week. Timothy Chalamet? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need him, you've got Sam. He's, yeah, no, he's he's re- he's reca- recasting me for, for Timmy Chalamet. Maybe they'll be okay with the grooming once he's uh, once it's a prettier boy. <laughs> oh, God, no, we're, we're, we're fine with grooming if he's attractive. It's all right. <laughs> it's going to uh, different funders at the moment and Nell's mm-hmm. um, going down those routes. Can't say too much about it because you know what it's like. Like, it's kind of in yeah. that stage. Yeah. But we're hoping to shoot in spring, basically. Good. 
I hope you do. You know I'm a big fan of your work. I've known you for years. Love your work. Love your work. Love your work. Love your work. So let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about our recommendations. Sam, as a guest, I invite you to go first. What is your first recommendation for a reboot, a sequel, or a remake? Recommendation number one, I'm going for Ocean's Eleven. Oh. oh that's quite a classy Steven number. Soderbergh version. Steven Soderbergh version, exactly. And you first saw this when? Um, I first saw this about three years ago on a plane and then I watched it properly when I got home because I absolutely adored it. What is it about that film that you like? I mean, I haven't seen it in years. Have we all seen it? Yeah. In t- yeah, in terms of the, the difference between that and the re- and the, the original, I found it uh, so much more fast-paced. I just thought it a fantastic ground standing for a, any heist film and you just sit there like a little kid you know on the edge of your sofa it's just so smooth and so um yeah it's 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 just brilliant and and really well taken off and and it's a fantastic cast in terms of an ensemble uh i mean you know there's there's shed loads of tropes in there that uh, have been reused a, a thousand times and i think you can take any uh, you can take the you know the oceans and and look at any heist movie now and see that the parallels drawn from those. So, yeah, no, loved it. Steven Soderbergh's one of those directors who was very good at going. I'll do one for the studios and then one for me. One for the studios, one for me. He seems to tread that line really easily. And since he took a break and then came back, he just picked up where he left off. What was it? Three, exactly four years that. previously. Yeah. I think he's just one of those directors that actors love working with. So. That's yeah. clearly why he was able to go, hi, Brad, hi, George, hi, Julia. You know, just basically picked the absolute top actors from Hollywood at that time. I mean, probably now as well. And just, just they were like, yeah, we want to do it. Yeah, I mean, he did that film with Claire Foy, didn't he? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Shot that film that he shot on his iPhone, yeah. Un- unsane or something? Or Unsane. Insane? Yeah. Unsane. Is it only the first one you like? So 11 or do you like 12, 13? Do you like the remake? The remake of the remake. I also did actually enjoy the remake of the remake. Um, I, I, I thought it Ocean's still 8. retained the Ocean's Eight. Yeah. I thought it still retained the original uh, flavour, but um, but but wasn't too repetitive. I mean, the films are pretty much exactly the same, but you know <laughs> what you're getting. You you log on, you get a you know you you hit play, and you get a team of really smooth criminals going through. You get a load of tuxedos. You get some you know some nice walking scenes of them walking through you know a casino or something, and you're just like yeah, and you know what happens at the end of it. They rob a shed load of money, and it all goes great. Yeah, you know. So yeah, you know what you're going to get with them, and and have the same amount of enjoyment with them all. But yeah, definitely found that the remake was uh, the original remake was uh, a lot more fast paced than the Rat Pack version. Well I think that's definitely to do with the time it was made, the sixties. It was probably fast paced for the sixties, but not now. Even the even the back in the sixties, I mean even the dialogue is 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 super quippy and, and and sharp. It's 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 really great. You get some great lines and yeah, really good fun. My main memory of the Oceans Eleven is the gymnastic guy doing a backflip and he had to land on his <laughs> butt on the thing. And it just is like mind-blowingly acrobatic, basically. That's my main memory of it. No CGI? No CGI. That It looks really painful. Like, poof. yeah. He probably can't walk now, so he's, his service to <laughs> yeah. film. And isn't he like, he's honorable. like basically folded in half inside something. In the box. He goes in the box, right? Yeah. 
It does not yeah. look comfortable. And Don Cheadle with his awful Cockney accent. Horrendous. <laughs> but it just, I mean, it's horrendously incredible. And you just, <laughs> so, it's so bad it goes all the way around to, oh, it actually works. Like a piano has to be slightly <laughs> off key to sound in key. <laughs> Okay, so that's Ocean's Eleven, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Lloyd, what's your first recommendation? Well, do you know what? I only just realised that we were allowed to do sequels. I thought it was reboots or remakes. Sequels too. In that case, I mean, my my choice for a remake was going to be the 70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ooh. I only like it because I watched it when I was a teenager and then I used to take my like video camera into school and we'd make films and we made our own version that lunchtime because I was like, guys, I've got this great idea. So you remade a remake? Yeah, and I just pretended it was my idea. No one had seen it, obviously, because we were like, <laughs> like eight. I've still got all of the old films I used to make as a teenager. Have you? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Like... Do you ever watch them? Um, I mean, not but sometimes. I've got them all. I've, I recently got a VCR to... You know, like HDMI, like a converter. So I've got them all on the computer now. Oh, I see. I All my old short films are still on DV tapes and VHS, and I have no way of watching them. But quite frankly, I have no interest. Who wants to? I have no interest. <laughs> I don't even like looking at photos I've taken like five years ago, and those films are even longer. Because <laughs> you, you develop, right? Joshua, you must have this, that... If you go back to an old manuscript, maybe you hadn't touched for years, do you ever think, who the fuck wrote this piece of shit? Uh, I don't really go back and look at those things. Some, Well, no, because it's just like a different person. Because you, your skills move on. Sam, you must have this with... You, yeah. Do you ever catch glimpses of old performances and think, oh, I'm making wrong choices there? Oh, my, my, my entire film collection. It was, I really struggled um, to, to choose anything for this because I, I, I haven't really watched anything that I haven't been in. I just kind of spend <laughs> most of my days re-watching stuff I've done to remind myself that I was once uh, slightly successful. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, just kind of self-masturbate over my own archives. Um, so, no, I, I, I really enjoy watching <laughs> no i don't no i'm i'm extremely extremely self-critical um and do you know what actually tying it back to the film we did was the only sam was the only film i've ever watched that i've done that i was able to watch uncritically and just going off oh, fucking hell guys we made a great film here was the only thing i've ever been able to watch uncritically i think i'm the same with sam like i hate watching back the features that i did but i made them but then i look back and go well i made them for like 200 quid so like mm. it's terrible but it's it was a learning it's learning wheels like i learned how to like oh, make films making them because we made them for nothing and and like i just learned everything and could make cock-ups and it didn't really matter because no one really saw them. That's the best way to learn anything. You just fuck up and learn from your mistakes. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Um, Lloyd, what's your recommendation that you're actually sticking with? Is it Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Well, it is. But I mean, I was going to do a like a... a, a I've, I've recently just watched two reboots in a row that I can say safely to stay away from this lockdown. Okay, we'll come back to those. Well then, yes, it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but it's also it's also the remake of The Evil Dead, and it's only because I I think they didn't fuck it up, and I love the original. The original is one of the reasons that I wanted to become a filmmaker because I was like, oh my god, they've made this for like nothing, and it's crazy. Like when I was like eight watching it, I've never been a fan of the the Evil Dead. I just never 
I never got the appeal. Joshua, that's more your thing, isn't it? I love Evil Dead 2. And actually, the remake is pretty good. They did a nice little kind of like, you know, bringing it to like socio issues in there with like drug addiction and stuff. It, they did it. They did it really well. Like I was yeah. I was pretty impressed considering it could have been diabolical. It's the same same director as Don't Breathe. I think Fede Alvarez. Oh, I like Don't Breathe, but Sam Raimi yeah, didn't direct fantastic. the. Sam Raimi didn't direct the, the remake. No. No. Okay, Joshua, what's your recommendation? Uh, sticking with the horror theme, my my uh, favorite, one of my favorite reboots, I would say, yeah, is uh, Scream Four from two thousand and eleven. <laughs> was it a reboot uh, or was it a sequel? It's a reboot call. It's like a reboot that's also a sequel. Um, so it was like basically a decade after Scream 3, which was has been... I mean, people are really funny about Scream 3 now. People seem to actually quite like it, but I always thought it was just a bit Scooby-Doo and weird. What was weird about it? It was very cartoony. It was the it was the one where Kevin Williamson, the original writer of the, of the films, he didn't do anything on it. I don't think he had a very brief kind of outline for it. And then another guy, Aaron Kruger, he came in and wrote the script. And it's just really tonally wonky. It's like, it just, it doesn't really fit with what went before. Um, even though the, the concept is awesome. It's like, it's set in Hollywood. They're making a stab three and the, the fiction and fact can start to blend together. Whereas Scream 4 goes back to Woodsboro. Um, all of the, the three, you know, main characters, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, uh, Nev Campbell, they're all back. It's new decade, new rules, um, and it's it's kind of like re readdressing horror in the noughties and kind of bringing that scream, that knowing scream dissection to that kind of contemporary horror. So it's quite meta as well. It's very meta. Yeah, it, it's it's about reboots and, and sequels. It, it kind of it really looks at you know there's there's an amazing bit with Hayden Panettiere where one of the questions that Ghostface asks her is name the reboot and she basically like she has this great long list of reboots that she just lets off and it's a real shame because I'm pretty sure she did the whole thing in one take where she listed like thirty films but they actually cut the shot so that you don't see her delivering the entire oh. list in one go which is a shame and because it's fucking impressive who directed it it's Wes Craven it was five years before he died oh okay because mm. I can't imagine them yeah. doing anything Scream without Wes Craven but I know there's been a TV show there's been a TV show and they are doing Scream 5 with uh I could never say his name Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett or Gillette and they did Ready or Not, which was a really fun slasher, pro, like proto-slasher horror film um, a couple of years ago. So I can see why they've they've been chosen to do it, because Ready or Not has a really fun, um, dark sense of humour. So I mean, I'm, I'm open-minded. They've got the cast back again for Scream 5, so I'm open-minded, but I don't money, know if money, they'll be money. able to match. Um, money, Sam, money. you are... You're what, 21, 22? 21. So you're 21, so... Did Scream? Have you, I mean, have you seen Scream the whole series? Yeah. So yeah, did you see that as a kid, or did you see it sort of late teens? Because it came out when Joshua and I were thirteen. I, I was I was uh, early early teens. Sorry, yeah. Um, d- didn't read for me massively. Um, in the same way. 
But Joshua knows I'm not much of a fan of it either. I prefer the darker, darker, darker stuff. So A Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street is more my my thing. Mm. I, I, you know, I prefer murderous child molesters over jealous, yeah. jealous <laughs> jock boyfriends. Yeah, I think I saw it a little bit too critically as opposed to kind of the, the culty origins of where it sits for people mm. usually. And I think that comes with viewing it at a later day, at a younger mm. age. I think I just saw it was a little too light for me. A little too Ooh. light. I just <laughs> wow. love the characters. Sam loves Schindler's List. Nothing more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd, what about you? Do you know what I've heard? I've heard that Scream 5 is going to be set in the real world with them killing... Ooh, like a new nightmare kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, see, that gets me excited because I love Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yeah, oh, me too. Wes Craven's new nightmare is like... The best one. Well, number three and that one. And I love Freddy's Dead as well. Uh, Freddy's Dead. That's Rob's favourite one. <laughs> no, that's the one I used to watch most. I love New Nightmare. I think I love that meta yeah, stuff where brilliant. where whether she's playing Heather or whether she is Heather Lannenkamp or Nancy, her hair is still massive and her, she's got far too many teeth <laughs> for the mouth. It's the same she's character. The same it's the same character. Yeah. Okay, my recommendation, sticking with horror, as well it is twin peaks fire walk with me oh yeah because we did that we did that twin peaks weekend and then you went home and after spending a whole weekend watching twin peaks you did then go home so we went the film as well years ago joshua and i went to something called the lynch lock-in at the battersea arts center where they were going to show series one and series two all the episodes of twin peaks back to back so it started at about 11 a.m on saturday morning and it finished at about six o'clock half six seven on the sunday evening with only two breaks for breakfast on sunday morning and sort of late lunch dinner on sunday yeah and the whole place was done up like various rooms in twin peaks there was musical guests singing during lunchtime they didn't show fire walk with me we watched the whole thing and then i thought right i'm not i'm not missing the chance here. i'm gonna rewatch fire walk with me so i did that back at my friend's house holding my eyes open because i'd only had three hours sleep the night before fire walk with me is the film that david lynch made a year after the series was cancelled and it acts as a prequel and a sequel and it it's a psychological horror that really allows him to sort of delve into sort of the abstract surrealist and dadaist sort of aesthetic and narrative tropes that he absolutely thrives in and it features a career best performance from cheryl lee who plays laura palmer and ray wise Mm. who plays her dad leland and it it kind of paved the i mean it, it failed on on release it wasn't a box office hit it did very well in japan but what doesn't do well in Japan, <laughs> Random. it paved the way for Lynch to have the freedom to make things like Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire. But this film is, it, it's an exploration. Again, I mean, these are themes that Lynch keeps coming back to. He explores that sort of dark and seedy underbelly of, of Americana through sort of neo-noir nightmarish visions it is an intense horror film with a brilliant soundtrack. Have any, either of you two, Lloyd or Sam, are you familiar with Twin Peaks? Yeah, I've seen it all, yeah. No, I've not seen it. 
feel like it's one of them things though that's quite hard to get into if you've not watched because I watched it years and years ago. I feel like it's 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 one of them things where you were kind of like trying to get someone to watch like Buffy now. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you say it's of its time. Everyone should the, watch Buffy. You now. could only really be into it now if you have an emotional connection from the past. I feel like it's got that kind of like cult nostalgic kind of vibe to it that I think people love who knew it back when it was on VHS. I think it's one of the things that's hard to get into personally. I could be wrong, but I don't know many people that are like, oh my God, I've just watched Twin Peaks for the first time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I strangely, my one of my mates, Michael, he, I, I turned him onto it just before the third series came out a couple of years ago. And I said, look, Twin Peaks is coming back. I think you should watch series one and two before you watch series three. It's been 25 years. And he absolutely adored it. Absolutely adored it. So much so that he hated series three because it was so vastly different. So I think I think it is possible. Um, I personally would never, ever dare compare Twin Peaks to fucking Buffy. Buffy forever. <laughs> Buffy forever. Buffy forever. Buffy forever. <laughs> You're outnumbered, Rob. <laughs> sick of hearing about Buffy on this podcast <laughs> Twin Peaks kind of like set the mold in terms of like 40 minute um, genre drama I would say so yeah. going back to it now is kind of like going back to like when they invented like bicycles or something it's like <laughs> you, you can see you can see what they were going for um, but maybe it doesn't quite hold up to like the the speed and the like um it's just not. It's just very different. It's like TV in its infancy, kind of thing. Like it's definitely a, it's definitely a sign of the times that it was made in. But I still think good writing doesn't age. Good acting mm. doesn't age. Great ideas do not age. They completely travel, which is why certain things like Citizen Kane and The Godfather and Kubrick films they they exist and they they. They still find an audience now. Mm. And if you want to put Buffy in that, you can. I don't mind. Buffy, Buffy, Buffy. I don't mind. And Charmed as well. And Charmed. No, we're not putting Charmed in. Okay, so let's move on to our second recommendations each. Sam, what's your second recommendation? My second recommendation is Toy Story 2. Oh! Joshua, you look like you're about to cry. That's the effect that those words have on basically anybody. <laughs> sure. Any, that's the thing. You you watch Toy Story two now as a fully fledged adult, and you're reduced to a blubbering mess. What is it about story? Remind me, story Toy Story two is that the one where when Woody is when Woody is kidnapped by the toy collector and Buzz and his friends try and go back to collect him, and Woody is faced with the moral dilemma of whether to face his own. Um, face his own being or be mm. preserved in a museum so that he doesn't have yeah. to face all of his problems and go back to being rejected. And what problems does he have? Well, he was being rejected by his owner. And I think it's something that we all, you know, even if we didn't have a, a toy as a kid, you know, we had a, a favourite something. We always had something that we... We always got to the point as as human beings where we'd get... Um, get rid of something and we'd, and we'd have to part with something we had as a child. And I think that the films are inherently adult and uh, for children as well. And I think they're really transcendent through 
ages, fantastic animations. They were well, it was the first animated sequel ever, uh, and one uh, first uh, best computer film? animated best motion picture sequel. First computer computer animated sequel. It was meant to be a direct DVD, wasn't it? It was meant to go straight to DVD, yeah. And then it grossed like four hundred and fifty million at the box office or something. I read in um, Creativity Incorporated the guy who co-founded Pixar with John Lasseter and Steve Jobs. He wrote that they made a version of Toy Story two. And then at one of their like monthly meetings where they look at everything, they went, this is fucking dog shit. And they got rid of it with nine months to yeah. go before the announced release date. So then they had nine months to construct and build a brand new film. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, why Toy Story 2 and not yeah. Toy Story 3 or 4? Um. I think Toy Story 2, because it was a 99 release, then it sits for me in in the the point where I would have been watching the film as a child, more so than th- <laughs> as a two year old. Yeah, uh, well, as a, as a zero year old, I was. I think it was the the November, so I think I was about <laughs> five months old or something. You were only just without umbilical cord. <laughs> Four didn't uh, sit for me as well. I thought four should have ended as they were um, uh, as they were falling into the incinerator. Oh, that's three. Oh, that's three. Yeah, I thought three should have. Three, oh, four's the four, with the the new one. Three should have ended. Yeah, as <laughs> they're going into bleak. the incinerator. Cut it there. Don't give us any new ones. All <laughs> all the toys die. We, we're done here. Let's cut it off. Let's teach these children some lessons about life that they're going to need to learn anyway. Things don't last forever, kids. <laughs> People die. <laughs> but that moment in three where they're just holding each other's plastic hands and looking at each other and they're going also oh, hashtag this is how i die intense it's weird fucking that's a disney film there was a happy meal attached to that film <laughs> <laughs> toy story three i saw at a as a press screening and people like journalists and media people Cutting were themselves? all coming out of the cinema <laughs> like red, red roar in the face just basically just so traumatized by that film like people just weren't okay people had to go to the pub afterwards to like make make themselves feel better oh, i wish i could just go to the pub and make myself feel better about my childhood oh lockdown therapy session for sam <laughs> <laughs> that could be your autobiography my life through toy story films and <laughs> um, i remember seeing the first one in the cinema and i just so vividly remember being completely blown away by this new technology because mm. joshua and i and i'm sure lloyd as well we're of the age where we were very conscious of the cgi revolution so you know i grew we grew up on spielberg and then suddenly uh terminator 2 and then um toy story and jurassic park was like a year or two before so seeing something like Toy Story was mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. Toy Story 2 is not my favourite of the three. I actually just favoured the first. Lloyd, what about you? Um, I'm not I a fan all of them. <laughs> I just think, like, oh. I, I, I'm more of a Monsters, Inc. kind of guy. I don't know. You like that cynical Woody Allen type thing? Yeah, I don't know. Do you know what? Like, I can't. I, I did see Toy Story in the cinema, but I think I was like about four or like I can't remember seeing it. So it didn't leave like that kind of imprint where it was 
do you know what I, mean? I think I was too young when it came out to really make it like last in my head and I was more interested in like the Little Mermaid VHS when I got home like I wasn't really like down with it do you mean you were too young Sam couldn't even he didn't even have teeth <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 were, you were 27 when I was <laughs> 95 I was 11 no I was 12 Toy Story 1 5 you guys are so old I'm almost 40 I was 6 when it came out that's why I can't really remember it and even then you were like no this is shite <laughs> I'm going to go watch yeah. Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, I was. In your little shell suit, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd, what did, you th- what did you think of Monsters, Inc? The uh, is there a sequel? Yeah, I've not it. seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the sequel, actually, but I did. I did it's really good. good. Is it? It's really good. good. It really is. I only watched it um, uh, a couple of months ago, and it was it was really great. It's got some great visuals in it. I, I watched Toy Story 4 the other day for the first time. I thought it was all right. <laughs> now, now you can connect with it. You've got the life experience of Woody. <laughs> But Toy Story 2, Toy Story 2 is your recommendation, Sam. Toy Story 2 is my, is my Empire Strikes Back, which is also a fantastic <laughs> sequel. Um, okay, Lloyd, what's your... This will be like your fifth recommendation, won't it? Do you know what? I'm going to go a bit Christmassy, a bit like feel-goody. I'm going to go for Gremlins 2. Oh, Ooh. yes, yes. Because that is kind of a reboot quill as well. I love Gremlins too. It just—it's my like go-to comfort film. Any time of the year, Easter, Passover. Eve. I just love it. Like I just <laughs> love the the like how off the wall batshit crazy it is. Like and how they got away with making such like absolute yeah. rubbish, but it was great. Yeah. I much prefer Gremlins to the new batch to give it its full title, Die Hard. That I prefer it over the original. Hundred percent. 100%. I think, yeah, we said this before, didn't we? Like, there's so many 90s sequels that were actually, we prefer the sequels to the originals, like Adam's Family Values. As you know, I prefer watching that to the first one. and Bill and Ted Bogus Journey. Yes. It's great. Gremlins 2 is brilliant. It's it's just so, like, naughty and um, the Slightly special effects are fucking well. amazing. Yeah, it really is. Like, he talks to camera and... Hulk Hogan um, saves the film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like the the little like Warner Brothers cartoon bit they've got in it it's just amazing I love it I just think it's yeah. so well done did you know that they they originally tested them with uh, with monkeys as the actors oh yes and they tore tore them to pieces just like fuck off I don't want a gremlin on my head <laughs> is that true did they try monkeys yeah so they 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 tried monkeys and put gremlin costumes on them and then they, yeah. they just hated it they and were like, no, I'm a monkey, not a gremlin. Stop it. <laughs> How could they even possibly think English. that was going to work? <laughs> because it's, tel- it's film. They think everything's going to work. Okay, so Joshua, what is your recommendation? Uh, my next recommendation is another film from the early 2010s and it's X-Men First Class, which is another kind of reboot sequel where they went back to the 60s. Oh, it's more it's kind of a prequel, I guess, as well, because they go back to the 60s and they, they show you how Magneto met Professor X and they have this beautiful bromance um, amid a backdrop of the Cold War Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, I think I saw it with you, Rob. I think we did. I think we saw it at I feel like you in Leicester Square. 
And I remember, I remember because we sat there and we were both expecting it to be a bit shit because yeah. two years before we'd had X-Men Wolverine, which was actually properly yes. terrible. Um, and about an hour into the film, I remember you turning to me and going, this is really good. <laughs> and you were just so joyfully happy about it. But also Matthew Vaughan had only joined the project 11 months before it was it's coming crazy. out of the cinema. And for for the amount for for the scope of the film and the amount of CGI, that's a phenomenal achievement. But he said that because he he had signed on to do X Men: The Last Stand five six years before that, and he actually ended up walking away from it because they didn't give him enough time. Mm. But then they gave him even less time on X Men: First Class. But he had made Kickass and Stardust by that point, so he had this kind of cinematic shorthand. He knew how to make big films like this. Yeah, he basically said, like, I just wanted to make a Bond film. So I made a Bond film about mutants. And I also kind of had a bit of a Frankenheimer um, kind of Cold War thing going on as well. And it's just such a such a like a weird incongruous film, but it's so brilliantly done. Um, It's got spectacle. It's got great characters. The music's amazing as well. I think it's closer in in tone and feel to the old comic books. It's very mm. much about because X Men is very much about um, and and all those old Marvel characters that Stanley and Steve Ditko created. It's very they're, they're very much about taking uh, contemporary issues and representing them in physical form. So X Men mm. is very much about outsiders and um, immigrants coming into America. Yeah. Uh, the Incredible Hulk is very much about the Atomic Age and what happens to the human body so it 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 doesn't surprise me that that is why they uh, they chose to set that film during the cuban missile crisis lloyd and Mm. sam are you followers of the x-men movies yes no absolutely love them i and i do you know what and i think absolute top was the 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 most recent the the logan the 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 Mm. oh god Um, brilliant absolutely beautiful uh, and an in, incredible film. Uh, really loved that. It's just a brilliant cowboy film. It's a yeah. brilliant. It's a western, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it really yeah. is. It's 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 fantastic. Yeah. Lloyd. Yeah, I love the X Men films. Um, I think it's it's such a shame that some of them let down the the series that like you can't watch them all as like a consistent collection. That's my only kind of downfall with it. It does feel like either they are shit hot or dog shit. <laughs> and I, and it would be great if they were all shit hot and you could sit and watch them all yeah. back to back but you can't yeah. do that with it yeah. so it's just I don't know I think it's an inconsistent series but I love it's it it's really inconsistent it's like they try they, 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 I personally find the, the ones that end up more over to the dog shit side are the, the ones where they try and cram so much in and so many to try and give everyone an mm. a storyline yeah. in, in in a feature and you've got an hour and a half and you're cramming so much in and you just they don't give them any time to develop any um any substance but then you get films like last stand and stuff where it feels a lot more fleshed mm. out that's weird last i mean last stand is one of those ones that it will always be of that original trilogy it's always going to be the black sheep because it wasn't made by brian singer it was made by brett ratner who doesn't have his own voice he's very much a i will just create a film because in the way that i think it should be made because it's part of this universe Mm. he did that with um he did that with sort of rush hour he did that with last stand he did that with 
uh, not Manhunter. Oh, Red Dragon. Red Dragon. He did yeah. that with Red Dragon. Um, so his films are always going to be compared to the thing that he is emulating, question mark, if he is emulating. But when you watch Last Stand now with fresh eyes, it's actually I really fucking love good. it. And actually, Brett Ratner was really lucky because Matthew Vaughan, he wrote the script, he storyboarded the entire film of The Last Stand. He basically just did all the hard work, handed it to Brett Ratner and was like, you can fucking do it. And he did. So, Brett, um, so all Brett Ratner had to do was say... Um, put the camera action. there. Yeah, action, I guess. My last recommendation is a brilliant film from 1999. It is a remake of a film from the 1960s. It is The Thomas Crown Affair, directed by John McTiernan. You didn't do Jay and Silent Bob the reboot? No. That's too obvious. And we've spoken too about obvious. that before on the pod. <laughs> anyway, it's <laughs> too obvious. It's called reboot. <laughs> the Thomas Crown Affair is Piers Brosnan's best role and performance to date have you have you all seen it i've seen it and i've got no memory of it but i know it's very um elegant and well done i feel like it's like a mum film like my mum like <laughs> it's directed by john mattin and who directed die hard die hard with a vengeance last action hero oh, last and predator action hero. he is a, a director who has this brilliant track record with combining action and plot the action in his films is not just there for for visuals. It's not just there for um, just for just for just for show. What he does with this film, he scales it all down. It becomes a lot more subtle, and it's just a brilliant heist movie. It's about a guy called Thomas Crown who is a, a he's a he's a fucking billionaire, and he owns a load of art. And at one point, he has to sell. Um, a piece of art in order to I think it's to cover a deal that's gone bad cut forward a couple of hours later he's arranged a heist because he's so bored in his life he he arranges that a piece of art is stolen from his own collection in the gallery then the person who comes in to from the insurance company to investigate thinks it's him and they have this kind of will they won't they romance but also a cat and mouse relationship it's so subtle and it's so wonderfully done it is like an action film that doesn't really have any action for me i much prefer it to the original i can't i honestly can't recommend it enough it's one of those films if it's ever if it's ever on telly whatever point i i i start watching that i have to watch it right to the end it's phenomenal and Piers brosnan's good it's almost like he was made for that role, not James Bond. <laughs> he was made for that role. Crown, Mr. Crown. Are we all a fan of Piers Brosnan's James Bond? Yes. Uh, he was my childhood Bond. So, yeah, whenever I think of Bond, I normally think of him. Lloyd, you were shaking your head. I've never jumped on the James Bond like bandwagon. No. I was more of an Austin Powers kind of guy. Like, I just, it's not, <laughs> it's not for me. I just think Bond is a bit like boys with their fucking toys it's just a bit like oh yeah okay i like i like james bond i know there's huge issues with it you know it's misogynistic and old-fashioned and it's almost the same film every yeah. single time but it's very familiar and if you're looking for something that's a bit you know if you're looking for something to put on before you go to bed that's not that heavy <laughs> you can't go wrong with a james bond film uh, yeah i think it's really good turn your brain off yeah. films i think that that you know i i mean i've only ever seen the the Brosnan's and the Connerys and the Craigs. Um, You've never seen a Roger Moore? 
I've never seen oh, that. Oh, Roger Moore's no. brilliant. Because he never took it seriously. Mm. He said, this is ridiculous. How can I play this straight? Everyone knows who this spy <laughs> is. So I'll just play it like I'm the most famous person in the world. So he just plays it as this playboy who is the slowest motherfucker in the world. Never run. He never ran. It was always sly walking, a wink and a large, you know, eyebrow to the camera. All played for comedy. Brilliant. Okay, so because Lloyd wants to do this, let's choose a third recommendation of something to avoid. Lloyd, do you want to kick this one off? Uh, the New Witches was so disappointing because, again, I love the original so much. And they don't even have the mask reveal in it, which is the best bit. Oh, are you talking about the Roald Dahl's Witches? Yeah, like why yeah. Make, remake the Witches oh, and not that take the mask first, off? That Nicholas Rogue film from the 90s is it, immense. So good. It's so intense. It's so good. It's like so scary where the new one is just CGI. It's Zemeckis, isn't it? Yeah. It's Zemeckis. And they've also got into some controversy because of the... The witches yeah. have, the, have the disabled thin hands. People from charities um, trying to bring awareness of the, to, you know, people have thin deformities. It's just a deformity. They don't always have to be witches and, and goblins in film. So Anne Hathaway's actually come out and said, I'm really fucking sorry. If I knew mm. of this before making the film and when I was shown the designs for the witches' hands... I would not have accepted that and I would have asked them to change. The biggest shame with the witches was that they it was a, such a great idea to move it into the 60s and have it be about the Deep South. Like if you're going to do a, a new version of the witches, why not give it a new context and make it actually fresh? And they did really try to do that by making it, a, um, giving it a different context, which is kind of segregation in the 60s in America. But then they kind of abandoned that in favor of just doing a silly kids film so it's almost like yeah that was a great idea but you didn't actually follow through on it sam what's your one to avoid i'm gonna go for a, a sequel to avoid and a remake to avoid sequel to avoid spider-man 3 oh um, yeah. so you're you like the the sam rammy yeah vision I'll, of the I'll, first I'll two? take one and two any day and i'll defend any day that he is Toby is the the best Spider-Man, uh, and I think again mm. that that it's that essence of nostalgia. I watch those films, and it just they just feel a lot more real. And uh, yeah, I, I do I do love those two. But yeah, I think the third was was a real lost. What was wrong with the third? That was the one with um, Topher Grace as Venom. Yeah, right? yeah. I think they just and the sound. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the Green Goblin, exactly that. I think they try to they, they try to throw too much into it. And I think the the Green Goblin yeah. was such a fantastic when. Um, uh, they they lost Defoe, um, and and then put um, James James, when James Franco? Franco took over. I think that could have been a, a good enough movie on its own. You could have maybe put in a little bit of a uh, a prelude that either Sandman or Venom could have come in at a later date. But yeah, again, I just and then they try to cram in, you know, uh, Peter Parker's uh, social demise as a, as a human being becoming all, all angry and. Uh, and that never works. And then they got rid of MJ and put in Gwen. Is it Gwen Stacy? And but that was in the Andrew. That was in the Andrew thingy. That version, was in the right? in, in Andrew's version. Yeah, and they brought her yeah. um, her in as well. I just yeah, I love the classic Spidey MJ and um, and Green Goblin. You're not I a Tom Holland fan then. Uh, we don't need to go there. So there's no oh. need to bring it. There's no need to bring it down like that, guys. Come on. No, I think he. I think he. <laughs> I love the I Tom Holland. Makes, I think he's a brilliant. Um, I think he's brilliant Spider-Man. 
I think they 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 did they they put that character really well. I think um, Toby's a great Peter Parker. I think Garfield was you 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 can still like it. You can still watch it as a film. Do you know what I mean? I think it still still sits there. I felt that Andrew Garfield was too street smart. He was too clever. He was too he was, he was too, too attractive as well. He was too cool. Uh, exactly yeah. as you as you said. He's too, and and they, I think they tried to Hollywood it too much. But I guess they had to be different to the Maguire version. And it was only made to retain the rights. Exactly. It wasn't made because I th- and I, we needed another Spider-Man exactly movie. Exactly that, and I think that's quite that's quite evident. Um, and then my one to avoid uh, remake would be the Karate Kid. Oh, oh with Jackie Chan that. or with um, uh, Hilary Swank. Uh, the the, <laughs> the oh the the oh, no, what's that one? That's that's called something else. The ja- uh, Karate Kid. Returns or something with Jackie Chan like and Will Smith. The Will Smith kid. That one. That one was 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 terrible, and I think Jason it should Smith. be absolutely avoided at all cost. And I think the original Cry Kid is phenomenal, but also is the wrong film. And that that Daniel Larusso is most definitely the bad guy in that film. But I watch it for that anyway. I just watch it for. <laughs> Do you watch Cobra Kai? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. good. just fantastic. Yeah, I think it's it's super gimmicky and and brilliant what they've done, and I think it, it really you you see it taking taking the piss out of itself basically yeah. and, and it does it so wonderfully and i and i love that they, they have brought it back and flipped it on its head and, and put danny at the forefront of it uh, put johnny at the forefront of it lloyd and josh were you ever a, a karate kid fan back in the day or even now i've never seen it i don't know why i just missed it it just never i don't know i, I feel like maybe i was just mm. a bit too young maybe when it josh? came out i didn't see it as i didn't see it as a teenager but i did buy all of them maybe 10 15 years ago and just like binge them and loved them isn't that strange that you and i josh were not that into it back from back in the day lloyd you're not but sam who was born just shy of the millennium is into them and I, i'd seen the the i'd seen the original first before i saw the remake and i think i think if i can remember correctly it was the remake that made me remake coming out uh, the the Jaden Smith one that mm. made me watch the original and had a lot of diehard fans make me watch the mm. original beforehand and absolutely loved it and then despised the uh, despised the remake. I saw the remake. I didn't think Jackie Chan was that bad. I thought he actually gave a solid performance. I didn't think Jackie Chan was that bad at all. No, I just thought the the other uh, the the guy who plays Mr Miyagi in the original was so much more stoic and yes. um, you know that th- it was it. <laughs> The problem, it's a carbon copy of, of, mm. of the film and they've just put they put it somewhere else and put a celeb in um, <laughs> who's kind of too young for the role. And he's just, you know, he's a stroppy teenager and it's really difficult to like him, which is why Danny's a really difficult person to like in, in difficult character to like in the original as well. But at least in that, you know, you, it, it's it's something new. But no, I thought Jackie Chan play, played it really nice, especially when, when you get into Mr. Miyagi's backstory and, and you get into his kind of uh, alcoholism and all of that and his hate. Was that part of the original? Past and that was part of his original, yeah. Uh, I don't the, remember that yeah, being yeah, in the original. He, him he, being an um, alcoholic. Yeah, it's his, he, lost his, he lost his wife, didn't he? Uh, in yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he went off to, to war or something like that and, yeah. and and then he gives him the dough buck the uniform okay so your one to avoid is the Karate Kid remake Joshua what's your one to avoid um, I didn't know we were doing this but uh, off the top of my Google search I would say The Mummy from 2017 it just gets it so wrong is that the one with Tom Cruise 
It's the one with Tom Cruise where he basically swooped in and was like, yeah, awesome. I'm going to like fight the mummy and this is going to be like the best action movie you've ever seen. It's like, mate, it's a horror film. They cast Sofia Boutella as the mummy, which is genius. And she's fucking brilliant in it. But then they shackle her up for like an hour and she just gets to like hang there in these chains, snarling a bit. And it's just so disappointing. I didn't see it. I was kind of done with the mummy films after the Scorpion King. Absolutely. Love Scorpion no. King. Awful. That was the, the Rock's it. first big performance, but he really wasn't there because yeah. they just used a felt tip pen to draw him into the so film. bad. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> but the original Mummy, I, I was quite a fan of. Again, I haven't seen this remake, the Tom Cruise remake. but um... It was meant to kickstart a Universal Monsters universe with like Wolfman and the Invisible Man. They even released that photo shoot of them all together, like really preemptively. We're like, oh yeah, flashy, glossy photo shoot. It's going to be fucking awesome. And then 10 years later or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, sorry, didn't actually do it. My recommendation to avoid is the 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters starring all those people from SNL. Controversial. (laughs) And directed by Paul Feig. Your favourite. The man is a hat. (laughs) The man doesn't know how to make a film. He's great at TV. Freaks and Geeks is brilliant. But as soon as he stepped over into film, it's almost like he just said, I'm just going to do it for the money. I want everything to be as bland as possible. And the problem with this Ghostbusters (laughs) reboot is it's not a Ghostbusters film. It's an SNL sketch that is 95 minutes too long. And not funny. So that is our Lockdown Reboot special. Boys, where can people find you online? You can find me at Sam Retford, R-E-T-F-O-R-D, on Instagram. And you can look at Sam rolling around in puddles and fields and waterfalls. He only he lives in a waterfall, it's fine. Lloyd, where can people find the film online? What's the uh, what's the Instagram for the film? So the Instagram for myself and Neil is at Aaron Eli. Um, and the film Instagram is at Sam underscore film UK. Marvellous. Joshua? We're at Torn Stubbs Pod. So um, come and chat to Rob about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> come and get trolled by me on Twitter. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast so you don't miss an episode. We're off to wear shell suits so we can be just like Lloyd when he was a kid. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. I'm Lloyd. And I've been Sam, who plays Sam in Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. Sleeping in your bed. Oh, who you gonna call?
Just want some more. I think you better call. 